Good evening, church. It's going to be a great weekend. Let me encourage you. Uh, we are already, praise God, at record registration for this, this meeting, which we're excited about. So we got some folk coming from as far away as Berlin, Germany, um, and folk that we've got senior pastors from around our EN world that are going to come this time. And so it really is going to be, I believe, I know we say this in a hyperbolous way, but I can't think of anything more important than being able to open our eyes to see something that will release faith in our life. And so let me encourage you, um, say, yeah, I don't want to be here. Trust me, trust me, it will be added back to you in amazing ways. The last two weeks, we talked about the power and the practice of praying the Scripture. And I hope you took some things away. But beyond just taking some things away from Wednesday night, I hope that between Wednesday nights, that there have been some powerful applications of that which you practiced last week, some things that you've heard over the past two weeks. But tonight I want to continue on the topic of prayer and praying both in the Spirit and praying by the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit and praying by the Spirit. You know, we talk about a, a spirit language, a heavenly language, 1 Corinthians 14, and we all want to fast forward and we want to talk about that thing, tongues. Let's get there quick and let's scare all your evangelical friends real bad, all right? Just, 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 just jump up and just say, tongues, okay? They get real excited about that for some reason. But I want to, I want to kind of key in on some other aspects before we get there tonight. And start by making this statement that all prayer must be spirit-enabled. All prayer must be spirit-enabled. Samuel Zwimmer made this statement. True prayer is God the Holy Spirit talking to God the Father in the name of God the Son and the believer's heart is the prayer room. There's scriptural warrant for asserting that our chronic disinclination and reluctance to pray, as well as our ignorance of how to pray aright, find their complete answer in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the source and sustainer of our spiritual life. Let me say that again. Let me just quote that again. The Holy Spirit is the source and sustainer of our spiritual life. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Paul writing in Galatians 5.25. But since prayer is represented in Scripture as an essential factor in progress in the Christian life, it's not surprising to find that the Spirit of God is deeply involved in this sphere. There's a lot of truth in that little statement from this theologian. But if the believer's heart is indeed the, quote, prayer room, then the Holy Spirit is the very air and the atmosphere where that happens. The very life breath of prayer has to be the wind or the pneuma of the Holy Spirit is that we have to be both breathed upon 
And then God, by his spirit, has to breathe out of us. That word pneuma means wind or breath. It's a word that's used for spirit, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That there has to be a breath of God that propels any prayer that comes out of our life. Not just the hot breath of your need. Not just the hot breath of your desire. But the literal breath of God inspiring what comes out of our mouth. That's how it has to happen. Another theologian said it this way. It is as the meaning surrounded by his presence and power. The Holy Spirit was to be the place of the prayer. In the sense of being the surrounding, penetrating, transforming atmosphere of the spirit of the praying Christian. Kenneth Weist, who is another theologian, one of my favorite word studies, he wrote, he points out that in the spirit is locative of of sphere. That is, all true prayer is exercised in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, motivated and empowered by him. The expression praying in the Holy Spirit is also instrumental of means. We pray by means of the Holy Spirit in dependence on Him. Now, this is a lot of real smart guys who, you know, you have to have to listen to that. And I had to read it about 10 times before I even understood it. So let me give you an analogy that can help break it down for the rest of us. An airplane needs air to fly. Hello? It needs some atmosphere. It needs air out there. And yet, how many of you know that it takes more than air? A couple of bike builders from Ohio figured that out in 1903. The Wright brothers down in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, who took some sticks and some old pants and made an airplane and flew it off some dunes at Kitty Hawk waiting for the wind to, to kind of get underneath those real strange-looking wings. But for a few seconds, mankind did what mankind had never done before and had flown based on the, his own power. So we know that it takes more than just air and atmosphere to make a plane fly, does it not? It takes It takes you somewhere, but there's a lot going on that you don't know and maybe you don't want to know. Come on. I mean, you get on a plane with a destination in mind. Now, unless you fly certain airlines like I do, which I will remain nameless, (laughs) who obviously do not like me at all, but you buy a ticket with the express idea that you're going to go from this place to this place. Unless they have other ideas. But you get an airline ticket and they put a seat on there. They put a destination on there. And the pilot comes on with the required federal warning label that says, you're on flight, blah, 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 and we are going to so-and-so today. Some of us who've become cynical in our LA say, right, we'll see about that. But you're all strapped in there and your tray table is up and your seat back and all of this kind of, you know, all of that stuff. But, you know, you get on this plane and you aren't the pilot. You don't provide the fuel. 
You didn't, you're, 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 not, you're not powering the engine. You don't really understand all of the technologies that's keeping, you know, this 100-ton dumpster in the sky. I mean, you just, it's just magic kind of propping it up for all you know. But yet you're on board and you're heading somewhere. And you're not completely sure of the route the pilot's going to take. I mean, the pilot will tell you, well, you know, we've got some bumpy air. Don't you love these terms? It's like a dentist using the term pressure, which pretty much means buckle up, son, because I'm getting ready to smack you in the head. And when the pilot says, we're going to have some bumpy air, that pretty much means that lunch is going to try to make a return. And so then the pilot will, will say something to the effect is, we're going to try to do what? Navigate around the bumpy air. So instead of taking you due south, we're going to go to Canada to get you to Miami. But he's doing everything he can to navigate around how bumpy this route is going to be to try to avoid turbulence. You realize prayer is exactly the same way. We begin to pray in the Spirit and we we get in and we think we're going somewhere. Shortest distance between two points. You understand what I'm saying? No delays, you know, no connections through Newark or Atlanta. Everything's, and the sky is, it's going to be beautiful. Happy campers, it's going to be a beautiful day out there in prayer land. And we're going to, we're going to land, we're going to get you there a little bit early to the gate on time. Everything's going to be fine. But how many of you know that the pilot's making some decisions that you back there in the nosebleed seats, you don't know anything about what's going on. There could be lights going on. There could be hurricanes and tornadoes. There could be, you know, things falling out of space. In the, I mean, and you don't know. You're just in your seat. You know, just drinking your drink, your little soda there, you know. Prayer is exactly the same way. The Holy Spirit many times is praying through us and we're, we're kind of assuming one thing and thinking it's going to be like this. And the Holy Spirit is saying, let's take him through some turbulence. Let's find out whether he prayed before he got on the plane. Let's find out how he packed for the journey. You with me so far? And so we open our mouths and we, we think out of our volition, out of our thoughts, out of our desires... That somehow it's going to be from here to here, and yet the Holy Spirit's got a whole different thing going on that maybe we're not even aware of. Wow. Leonard Ravenhill, who was passed away some years ago, he was a pastor, teacher, prophet, really. Pretty cranky guy if you really got down to it. Talking a lot just about the juxtaposition between the early church and what he was finding in the contemporary church. And so cranky is the best word I really know how to describe. But good friend of A.W. Tozer, but Leonard Ravenhill was quite a man. And he wrote this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as the spirit of power helpeth our infirmity in prayer. The Holy Spirit as the spirit of life ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of wisdom, delivers us from ignorance in this holy art of prayer. 
The Holy Spirit is the spirit of fire, delivers us from coldness in prayer. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of might, comes to our aid in our weakness as we pray. Powerful stuff. As we've seen earlier in some earlier sessions that we all have a problem and we need what? Help. Paul says that very, very plainly in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. The Spirit helps us in our what? Weakness. There it is. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, that word help is very interesting right there. Is that there's only one other occurrence of this particular Greek word found in the entire New Testament. Now, the word help and helps, is, it's, in, it's in multiple places, but the specific usage of this word help is only found in one other place, Luke 10.40. And it's a situation where Martha is complaining to Jesus, would you tell Mary to help me? It's the same word. A transliteration of that passage in Luke 10, tell her to help me by taking hold of her end of the task. This is the same word help that Paul is using in Romans 8. In other words, I feel like Martha was saying, I feel like I'm doing all this by myself. I mean, tell this woman to to get up from where she is and help me. Same word. See, everything that is said relates to the act. And, and, it's, and it's fascinating if you, if you look at these together, how many times we feel like in prayer, we're the ones doing all the work. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Seriously. I mean, you feel like you're in there and you're in your, your prayer time, your prayer closet, whatever your vernacular is for what that thing is that you do, and you feel like you're the one doing all the work. It's like, come on, God, a little help here. Say something. Do something. Rustle the curtains. Give me anything. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, God, give me a sign. If just send a car by me with four wheels. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So then we begin to put ridiculous fleeces out there before the Lord to have some idea that maybe we're connecting somehow. But you see, the, the, the intent of this passage is that it's not about our praying. As a matter of fact, everything else in this passage in Romans 8 as it relates to the activity of the Spirit, it's it's not about us praying. It's all about the Holy Spirit doing the praying. This is an amazing thing. It's not about our prayers anymore. It's about the Spirit's prayers that's happening in and through us. That's why he goes on and it says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but... The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This means that if words can't express it, it means your brain can't get a hold of it. Now, let me say that when some people have wrongly ascribed this passage to the gift or the exercise of tongues... But there's a problem in that the Greek word for tongues, the word glossolalia, is not used here. 
So this is not a proof text for tongues and what tongues do. There's something else that's more transparent. There's something that's happening that is beyond our cognition and, if you wish, even beyond our will that's happening of the Spirit as the intercessor in our life. Something beyond. And it's not just... And, and, and this is not just for those that have the gift of tongues. And yes, we're going to talk about that. And yes, you need it. And yes, you need to do it a lot. So I'm not avoiding the subject. But what I'm trying to say is that if we reduce praying in the Spirit and praying by the Spirit to the exercise of one singular spiritual gift, we have too narrowly defined how the Spirit operates through our life in prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. And so it doesn't matter what tradition that you come from, whether it's a charismatic Pentecostal tradition where you're all good to go with 1 Corinthians 12, or whether or not you're from a more evangelical historical tradition, the Holy Spirit still is doing the same thing, regardless of whether this gift is in operation in your life. It goes on in verse 27 and says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, I know Ephesians 5, 17, it says, don't be stupid, but understand what the Lord's will is. But how many of you, how many of you and I know that we see in part, come on, we prophesy in part, We think that we see the will of God, but let me just tell you, there's always going to be the limitation of humanity that we don't really see the full will of what God is doing. And it's only going to be in hindsight and from the vantage point of heaven that we're going to be able to look back and say, aha, that was what that was all about. How many of you can look back on something even a year or five or ten years and say, well, you had complete confusion. You were in complete darkness about why and how God did a thing. And you look back just a few years and say, wow, he one smart guy. I mean, and you were there the whole time trying to get some kind of insight into all of this and just a little bit of time and the Holy Spirit just giving you a peek, said, this is what that was about. Heaven will give us that perspective. Karl Barth, another theologian, observes that God, quote, makes himself our advocate with himself. That he utters for us the ineffable groaning so that he will surely hear what we ourselves could not have told him so that he will accept what he himself has to offer. Wow. I think I need to say that again. God makes himself our advocate with himself. That he utters for us the ineffable groaning so that he will surely hear what we ourselves could not have told him. So that he will accept what he himself has to offer. Man, I'm just glad there's smart people out there. 
But what a powerful concept of how the Holy Spirit himself has stored up the fullness of his desire and his will for our life, but because it's so full, it's so perfect, it's so divine, he doesn't just entrust the release of the thing to you and I to get our heads and hearts around it. He entrusts it with himself because that's how important and how powerful his riches are to you and I. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit once again. Not speaking specifically of a singular spiritual gift, but in the Spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. Never wondered about this passage. How do I do that? How do you pray all the time? But if you look at this particular passage, it's coming at the tail end of that passage or that section of scripture that talks about the weapons of our warfare. Remember those? The breastplate and the shoes and the shield and all of that. But because it says here, and there's a continuation. And so the and pray here becomes a continuation of our warfare in both a pre, a, a proactive, preemptive way in terms of if you keep praying, you're kind of putting up, if you wish, this force field around your life that keeps a lot of that stuff at bay. Are you with me? I'm sorry, but somehow I just don't think that a person is praying and watching porn at the same time. Maybe I should have said porn from the pulpit. But somehow I don't think that those two things are going to happen in the same atmosphere. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think that they're going to happen at the same time in the same space. Why? Because God is not capable of evil or looking at it. And so we wonder many times, how in the world did I get into this place? I can guarantee you one thing, you weren't praying. I don't know exactly how you fell into it. I don't know all the circumstances that got you there. But I can tell you one thing. You weren't praying in the Spirit when you did fall into it. This is what Ephesians 6 is about. It's a tool, a weapon of our warfare. Ephesians 1. I don't cease to give thanks. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. When we get right down to it, this is, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer. We can talk about a lot of things about what prayer can accomplish and what it can do and tearing down this and building up this and releasing this and smack and hallelujah and all that kind of stuff. But when it gets right down to it, we find that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I'm convinced that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer is to connect and reconnect us with Jesus. Period. John 16, verse 7. I tell you, Jesus is telling, talking to his disciples, it's good that I'm going. Talk about an offensive statement. I'm glad I'm leaving you guys. Fed up. It's good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then he goes on in verse 12 and talks about the ministry and the mission 
of the third person of himself. And here it is. I've got a lot to say, but you can't hear it. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He'll tell you what is yet to come. And he'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you won't see me. And then after a little while you will see me. You see, the Holy Spirit takes from that which Jesus, everything Jesus was and did and spoke, and he breaks it down, if you wish, into bite-sized morsels for you and I to be able to ingest. It's like a mama bird. She goes out and she gets something disgusting and she comes back. And the little bird, and she just parses it out just a little bit at a time based on what they can ingest. This is what Jesus was saying. He said, you do, I got so much. If you guys even try to get a good bite of it, you choke on it. So therefore, I'm just, it's going to take a while here, so I'm going to take everything, I'm going to give it to the Holy Spirit, and then he's going to parse it out to you one little morsel and little, little, little giblet and giblet at a time so that you can, you can get it. Aren't you glad he did that? Because you see, the essence of what we're talking about is transfer. And I really believe this is the true essence of, of spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled prayer is that there is a transfer. Something happens. There is an exchange from something in the natural to something in the supernatural. Something eternal breaks through the temporal. The temporal breaks through into the eternal. This is what happens in spirit-empowered prayer. We not only transfer our needs and our burdens to him. It's part of it. Matthew 11, come to me all you who are what? Burdened. What does he say? I will give you what? Rest. There's the exchange part. See, he doesn't just take the burden. Yes, he does that. But he takes the burden and he hands us rest. See, most of the time we're just satisfied. Get this off of me. And I mean, we're so happy not to be looking like Quasimodo anymore that we think that's good enough. But he says, no, 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 no. I will give you rest. I'm going to take that which is burdening you, which is breaking you down. I'm going to take that off of you. I'm going to give you something in return. And in that, there's going to be an exchange because I'm going to give you what? My yoke. And that yoke is easy. And what? Burdens, cares, concerns. We're coming up to a prophetic conference, and one of the words for prophecy is burden or massa, M-A-S-S-A, Hebrew word. That many times we see something, we receive something in the Spirit, but we don't know what to do with it. And so rather than releasing it back to God, we carry it for a while. Well, I'm an intercessor. This is what I'm supposed to look like. No, it's not. No, because the same principle Jesus spoke about to release that burden, this is what the intercessor does. 
You receive something. You see it. Yes, you receive it. But then what do you do? You hand it back. It's that exchange. Many commentators think that this is speaking of the burden of the law, which has been perfectly fulfilled. Quote, the life lived by faith is a much lighter yoke and a much easier burden to carry than the heavy and burdensome yoke of self-righteousness under which some continually strive to make themselves acceptable to God through works. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for, it says, putting a heavy yoke of the law on those, early, on those disciples, on those followers. And Jesus came in an instant to do what? Relieve us of the yoke of the law by becoming and fulfilling the law on our behalf. Correct? This is the exchange we're talking about. So then, what is our burden? Our work, it says in John 6. They were trying to ask Jesus, give us, give us the weight, give us. All right, go ahead. We're ready. Lay it on. I know there's 600 points of the law out there, but let, let me see if I'm bulked up to tell me which ones. And this is what he said. The work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. That must have been a very unsatisfying answer because they were really looking for the list. But the real question is, then this is our burden. This is, this is our work as believers is to believe everything I'm saying here is to believe that he has fulfilled the law on our behalf and we are not broken down and burdened down under it any longer because it's been fulfilled in Christ. And everyone is sitting there like, okay, right. But you see, the fact that we don't jump up means that we don't believe what I just said. It means that somewhere in us, we have somehow heard and we have inculcated somewhere into our system that there's got to be something I can do to add a little something, something to what Christ did. There's got to be a, hey, pastor, please give me the list. Here's the list. Believe in the one that he sent. Believe that it's a finished work. This is the ministry. This is the prayer of the Holy Spirit continually trying to affirm something back to us. Hmm. It's that transfer of burden. And he in turn transfers a number of things to us as well. He transfers his truth to us. That's that deep calling unto deep. That's when you know something that is so much in your knower, you can't talk about it. Let me tell you, if everything you know about God, you can wrap a word around, you don't know much about God. And I appreciate the power of wordsmithing, but let me just tell you, there are some things we're talking about here tonight, which is the very reason that we have Romans 8, that there's just spiritual truths that have to be expressed in spiritual language that is beyond the language of whatever your, 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 your common vernacular. It's beyond just the language of tongues. 
It's a language that's so deep that only God himself understands it. And yet for you and I, that is so unsatisfying. Why? Because we want to do something. I want to help. Come on. God, you need some help. God, look around at this country. This is a mess. You need some help. Chip chop. Let's go, son. Come on. Give us a candidate we can vote for. I'm sorry. I didn't. Andrew, fix that later, please. Do something about all this, all this terrorism. You need some help. And I tell you, we, 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 we come to God in prayer many times, and our intercession, it's, it's so frantic. It's so, there's, there's so little faith. There's so little, well, I don't, I don't have the words or the language or the emotions or the passion or the fervor or, or I don't. That's the whole problem. It's the I don't. No, you don't. But he does. Spiritual truths, he transfers, he transmits that to us. No, we're going to finish this. As it regards prayer, he does that in a couple of ways. He does that through those things that are transparent, which means we can't see them. And that's what I'm talking about here tonight. And then he does it through means that, are, that at times are apparent. And there are times that the two merge. The apparent we verbalize, whether in English or our cognition or in a divine prayer language that's beyond our cognition, but at least as a recognition that prayer is occurring. Correct? We'll talk about tongues, but the, 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 the nature of how the gift is constructed is that Scripture says our mind is what? Unproductive, which means that we are, we're, we're not doing anything here. There's something that's coming out of here. Yes, our mouth is involved, but there's still a real satisfaction. It's, it's, it's like chewing fried chicken-flavored gum. Yeah, I'm going to invent that. You heard the colonel's getting his mojo back, right? To get him back to the original recipe to get that. But... Fried, I mean, can you imagine some, I mean, so, but you're feeling better about life because you pick up the gum and it says fried chicken gum, and so you're chewing on that, and it's just like, well, this feels good. Chew, chew, chew. It's only one problem. Ain't no chicken involved. But you feel better because at least you're doing what? You, exactly. That's how tongues, that's how tongues is sometimes. Now, let me just say, I'm not trying to underestimate or denigrate in any way that amazing gift from God, all right? But I think that many times we need to, even the way that we pray in tongues, it needs to change up a little bit. Some of us just kind of do it sometimes so mindlessly. We're not directing any faith into the Word. We'll talk about that more next week. But they're the apparent aspects 
of what this looks like. 1 Corinthians 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What, what do I do? I'll pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind. But then there are the transparent aspects of what we've been talking about tonight. Of that which the Holy Spirit is doing and accomplishing that many times we're not even aware of. And I'll pick up there next week. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. God, for the power of your Holy Spirit. The deposit of your Spirit. God, it required the sacrifice of your Son to release the Holy Spirit to you and to me. Amazing. Thank you. But Lord, help us tonight move beyond what we can get our minds around, our words around. God, every one of us have just plopped down on a plane and just kind of trusted we're going to wind up safely wherever, wherever we thought we were going. But God, certainly then we can trust you to pray in accordance with your will for our life. That we can just get out of the way and say, Daddy, your way, your will. And I don't have to get my head, my heart, my emotions, my feet, my hands, nor anything else around that fact. God, I trust you to be daddy. To know when and what I need perfectly in any given moment. Lord, help us as a people trust you more, love you more, serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless your church.